Welcome to episode 185 of Tim Talk, the podcast about the DC animated universe co-created by Bruce Tim. I'm Chris Lord. I'm Cameron Dexter. And this week we have just about 22 minutes to get through an episode before the Joker blows up the podcast. Yes, I put the timer up right here so you can see it. <laughs> We're starting in 19 minutes. We are obviously talking about the uh, two-parter wild cards this week and... The unofficial Teen Titans crossover. The unofficial Teen Titans crossover. Also... I was thinking about this. This is a pretty unique episode, I think, in entirety of the DCAU in terms of its, like, meta-awareness of what is going on. Like, the fact that there is an actual timer down on the corner that roughly matches the length of an actual episode. Right, that Superman even looks at at one point. Yeah, like, they all look down at the timer. There's an awareness going on here of, like, we as an audience are watching this episode of Justice League, but also we're watching the live broadcast the Joker's put out. And it's really weird and different. And I think that's part of what makes it so good. Yeah, it, it's very fourth wall with a lot of it. Or even Joker, towards part two, Joker has a lot of comments of like, oh, you know, don't get up. Like, I'm going to step away for a second, but don't leave. Yeah. And actually, like, that would be where it would cut to commercial. Yeah, he's narrating it, but yeah. also watching it at the same time. Now, I, I'm going to ask the question I always ask. Had you seen these before? I've not. Okay. I've, I've seen snippets of like hearing um, the Royal Flush Gang talk. Okay. Just because it is the Teen Titans cast. Right. That's the one thing you knew going into this, what it was the Teen Titans. Yes. And and I will go into my deep dive of whether they work or not. <laughs> I mean, I feel like by asking the question, you've also given us the answer. <laughs> they do not. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what were your thoughts on these overall before we can get to the nitty-gritty of it oh they were so much fun mm -hmm. and and there was an aspect of it especially in the first part that we again like you said we hadn't seen in dc before or the dcau before and that's just the use of wide shots watching oh. combat in a in widescreen for not widescreen but like pulled back yeah because you know the, we see the cameraman in the background of shots which yeah. is also a great little touch mm -hmm. but seeing everything happen together is so much more fun. I didn't even think about that. It's a very good point. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've given this spiel many a time before, but like pulling from Chinese and Japanese films and mm -hmm. how they film combat is always in the wide. So it feels more impressive, similar to how in like the forties and fifties during musicals, Fred Astaire notoriously always filmed in wide. Yeah. Cause he wanted to show off how good he was. Mm -hmm. And if you ever see him dancing with someone else, they'll always cut to the second person because they can't keep up with him. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so they'll cut around everyone else, but Fred is always in the wide, so you know yeah. he did it in one take. I love that. Yeah. I did not know that about Fred Astaire, but that makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah, he was a cocky asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which, there's, there's something special about that era of Hollywood. Only then could you be, like, an arrogant asshole and also be the most famous dancer. Yeah. <laughs> like on-screen dancer in the world. That doesn't happen now. No. no. I mean, I think like the closest we get are are kind of the the modern martial artists. Yeah. You know, Jackie is also notorious. Like there was a shot they did in the 80s where he did like this weird spin kick from the ground. He kicked his hat up and it landed on his head. Mm -hmm. And he said that took three weeks to shoot. Yeah. Because he did that one take every day for eight hours a day for three weeks until it finally looked good. Yeah. Because he was paying out of pocket. It was all his production. Yeah. Like that's insane that people would do that. He's a perfectionist. Yeah. He also wears so many hats. Like he, he made a movie recently where he was also literally the caterer. Yeah. 
like, I love him so much. He's, he's yeah, he's so genuine. It's just a gem. But that, that you, you raise a good point that yeah, that generally in American movies, it's all edited together because usually the person who's acting can't necessarily do the stunt work and vice versa. There are exceptions, but broadly speaking, like you have to cut fight sequences together to hide the fact that it's not your star that's actually doing the fighting. Yeah. And even in the cartoons, I think you see emulation of that fighting style sometimes in terms of like the close up. Also, it's probably just easier to animate less stuff. Oh, absolutely. At the same time. But you're right here they, they do kind of go wide on the whole thing. And so like, so to, to offer a little bit of context of what's going on, as I allude to up front. So the Joker has planted bombs all over Las Vegas and is televising the Justice League's hunt to defuse the bombs live. Uh, but things won't be easy as the League has to deal with Joker's new meta power team, the Royal Flush Gang. Uh, meanwhile, John and Hawkgirl might finally actually deal with this sizzling romance no. between the two of them. So I would not call it sizzling. I mean, it's it's getting pretty hot. I would call it... <laughs> They lit a candle. <laughs> I mean, even the Joker is making comments like, "Are they? Is there something going on between those two? Yeah. I mean, right, right from the very beginning, this was clearly on the writers' minds that this was gonna be the episode that actually addressed this "will they, won't they" thing because the opening dialogue, like the opening lines, is meant to be suggestive, but you know, kids' cartoon level suggestive. Right. It's it's fourth grade flirting. Yeah, exactly. And like, it, it's it's a little bit like you could read something sexual into it. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's it right there is, I think, the line that John says to, to Hot Girl. And we don't see them yet. This is just when we're still like on the wide outside the watchtower. It reminds me of Die Another Day, which is never a good thing. <laughs> Notoriously one of the worst Bond films of all time. One of the few I've seen. What have you seen? I'm so sorry, Cameron. <laughs> we, we can do better. But at the very end, Bond and Jinx, played by the oscar award winning halle berry who can be very very good yes not in that movie um but you know it's the the movie's done there at the very end it's bras and arrows so we have to have the obligatory like oh they're boning scene and so we just hear their dialogue as it pans over this little like remote cabin somewhere on like the south korea peninsula and it's like oh not done like don't pull it out yet i'm not done with it and then it cuts in and it's you know she's got a, a diamond in her belly button but of course, it's meant to be sexual, but it's not sexual at all because it's so on the nose and so dumb. Yeah. That's what I thought when I heard the opening line okay. <laughs> of this episode. Now, the rest of it continues to be really good, but it did feel a little bit awkward and ham-fisted them trying to make like a sexual pun, a sexual pun right up in the beginning. Right. Did, did you also have the same thought? Was I overly emphasizing this one little moment? I think you were because I didn't <laughs> think about it at all. But, I mean, it, it could have been something else because, you know, it's all ADR. Yeah. And so it could have been they recorded a couple and they're like, hey, Kids WV, what can we get away with? Right. And, and this it's like, is... no, you can't have John say, like, oh, yeah, stick it right there, honey. <laughs> John saying that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know how their relationship works. Sure. Okay. <laughs> that Mace is in the bedroom with them. Okay. Um. Yeah, I... You're, you're probably right. They probably tried a few different things. This is the one they could get away with. And, right. and of course, they're talking about trying to track down some weird banking thing because they have figured out that the Joker has bought ad time. And so they have this little establishing thing. And then it quickly cuts to Batman basically telling some network exec in Vegas. I think in Vegas, maybe it's L.A. You have to cut the feed. The Joker has bought airtime. And what I loved about that moment is 
the guy knows who the Joker is and takes it seriously and just shuts it down immediately. What I appreciate is Joker going through the legal channels of actually renting <laughs> Arizona. Because we, how many times have we seen him just hack the feed? That's true. Normally he just does like a pirate broadcast. Yeah. Like the fact that he went through not just one station, but every station. All of them. And, yeah. And legally obtained airtime. <laughs> is so funny to me. It, it almost felt a little bit... Um, 1960s batman like it mm-hmm. reminds me of the 60s movie when the penguin bought up a world war ii sur- surplus nuclear submarine which i don't think they even had nuclear submarines then but the one they're on is clearly just like a normal diesel world war ii submarine that point aside but the pseudonym he uses is p and gwyn good it's just like it's so yeah. it's so blatantly obvious and i guess the name uh, the Joker uses here, and I forgot to write it down, but it's the author of the um, the play The Man Who Laughs, Yes, which became a movie adaptation with Conrad Veidt of Casablanca fame, who that visual cue was a big inspiration for the Joker. So Yes, the, the, the haunting smile. Exactly. Yeah, I even remember when they were casting The Dark Knight, um, people kept posting that photo all over the internet and being like, oh my God, here's the first look at the new Joker. I'm like, no, that's Conrad Veidt. He's been yeah. dead for probably decades <laughs> at that point i feel like anytime there's new joker murmurs that photo gets brought because i remember yeah. when leto was still up in conversation oh that yeah photo was brought up and people like doing side-by-side comparisons of like um leto from fight club and yeah it's like, oh like look how he like has the body movement of of that guy yeah it's like he's not though it's very different and it's very bad <laughs> look i i don't like leto's joker in the one movie we've seen him in i can understand why he would have been a good choice and i don't know whose fault it is that he wasn't but he wasn't yes there are many fingers (laughs) to be pointed exactly yes it is not just a single finger no no lots of places to point that finger um but i i just like that moment of it one it establishes the stakes of just how serious the joker is as a threat not only is batman taking him seriously but someone who hasn't spent his entire career fighting the joker also like oh shit like i didn't even thought about this but he would be that well known outside of gotham the yeah. like just random people know who he is which is kind of crazy but also kind of makes sense and also <clears throat> excuse me anytime we see someone in the big office setting because we yeah. batman has broken into many an office in his time so many and anytime he gives a warning like this everyone always gives the same reaction of like oh but he already gave me the money yeah why should i even care about this i have the money and he (laughs) throws money at batman thinking that that money didn't originate from wayne tech of course yeah (laughs) but yeah this is the first because that's what i was even expecting was Mm -hmm. when we meet this guy he's gonna be like oh whatever it's a fake like my network is the best network in the world. We have the best security. It's impenetrable. Nothing can ever stop us except this one child who <laughs> broke in once. <laughs> so specific. Yeah. Well, because that's how it always is. It's that's always true. everyone is so cocky in that in that big office. Are you just thinking of Big Little Liar? Big no, Fat Liar. Big Fat Liar. <laughs> yes, I am. With Marty Wolf. <laughs> Not Big Little Liar. The, uh, the the sequel starring Paul Giamatti, Frankie Muniz, and Nicole Kidman. Yes. <laughs> Well, I think that's no, that's the prequel. It's it's like the Baby Looney Tunes of oh, Big Little Lies. Oh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> the liar verse. Yes. Um. Yeah, but I mean, one of the other interesting things about this episode is this is almost a bottle episode, in a way. It absolutely yeah, because I think that was even a question I was going to pitch to you a while mm-hmm. ago of how do we do a Justice League bottle episode? Yeah. This is it. You just make the bottle. 
The size of Las Vegas. The size of Las Vegas, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it, it is interesting because this is the most, I think, contained episode we've gotten in terms of... Yeah, no one's going back to the Watchtower. Yeah. Except Hawkgirl and Green Lantern. Right, in the middle of the fight. <clears throat> but... I mean, we're not hopping around the galaxy. We're not hopping around the world. We are. Yeah, we don't see the Batcave. No. It, it is. Yeah, it is one location for the entire 40 minutes. Yeah. And it all runs more or less in real time as well. I mean, mm-hmm. not only is there the, the timer down in the corner, but, you know, the the whole span of this endeavor probably lasts about 40 minutes. All said and done, too, which is just interesting that it's it's such a different way of telling this kind of story and so like wrong for the flash to spend 40 minutes on this (laughs) what what else would he be doing for that 40 minutes everything faster (laughs) so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump ahead a a, a slight so there's a bomb hidden in the in vegas and some somewhere in vegas it's a mystery uh and everyone's trying to find it and you find out there's not one bomb but 25 bombs Mm -hmm. around las vegas so they all split up and what it should have been is everyone go find one and flash. You get the other 21. <laughs> now, I think that actually does more or less end up happening. We only see, I think, maybe four or five bombs get diffused mm-hmm. over the course of the episode. But by the time they get to the end, there's one left. Yeah. Which means that 20 some odd just got diffused. And I guess the only real explanation is, is that the flash was running around and taking care of that for the most part. Yeah. But you are right. He could do it all himself, but he also doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Right, so that that leads me to the second point of why the Flash should done should have done this better. He's on the like, not on the phone. That's stupid. He has Batman in his ear. Yeah, walking him through this process while Batman is also fighting Jack. Mm-hmm. We'll get into them in a second. Yes. Um, just run, grab Batman from the fight, run him back to the bomb. It'll take you seven seconds. <laughs> He's not far. We know how big Vegas is. It's not. Yeah. And have him, you know, diffuse it on his own. <laughs> I mean, you're right. That would have been a very different, very amusing episode. Is just Batman riding around the Flash's back, <laughs> running from bomb to bomb. Well, because like, because part of it, it goes against both aspects of Batman, mm-hmm. where he wouldn't, he wouldn't be seen being carried by Flash from place to place. No, but also I wouldn't see him trusting Flash to diffuse the bomb himself. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, neither is a good option. Yeah. Which I, I think we can chalk this up to Batman once again subtly manipulating how the mission plays out because he didn't want to have to ride around the Flash's back. Yeah, because also, like, why didn't he... Like, he already defused the first bomb. We can assume all the other bombs look the same, even though they don't, but that's yeah. an animator's problem. Yeah. Um, that Why wasn't that the first thing they said on the intercom? I was like, hey, when you find a bomb, here's the order to take things out at. I made a little cheat sheet for you guys. <laughs> here's the acronym. It's... B Y B, what is it? R Y, which stands for blue. No, no, I'm asking you to come up with like uh uh um. Oh well, give me a, a, a device to remember that. What what's the phrase for that when you like boys, comma <laughs> you better B Y B R Y. Boys, you better really yell. There, there we go. Yeah perfect nailed it so then when you defuse a bomb you get to scream yep i did it it's a child's game you better be ready to yell (laughs) i think you need to be the martian manthunder up in the watchtower telling how to do everything yeah yeah they need it they do i mean he wasn't there this time 
for whatever reason, he and uh, Wonder Woman aren't here. They, they're just not Vegas people. <laughs> I get it. I don't, I don't blame them. Yeah. I feel like Wonder Woman would show up to Vegas once and be like, this is awful i think i feel like she'd be excited to see say you know like caesar's palace or something like that like oh cool you know like we don't know if those exist in this because all the hotels we see and i love the versions we see yeah are not real vegas hotels um no i guess not yeah there's like a a, um like a tropical island theme one the volcano there's a a jules verne yeah yeah the halt it's it's the the hawaiian holiday yeah volcano one Mm mm-hmm uh, yeah, the Jules Verne themed one, which I love. We get to see the Nautilus. Yes. Um, there is New York, New York. There's like a Wild West one, if uh, I remember correctly. There was, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's a New York one. I I, I thought there might have been like a, a Camelot style one, too. I forget. I'm sure there was. Yeah. But yeah, a... I'm sure all the icons were there. Exactly. <laughs> but they just didn't want to pay. Because I'm sure you have to pay to like license those hotels, even in cartoons. Yeah, you probably do. Because they're money hungry. They're, <laughs> like they're everything really... else. <laughs> They really are. So, but beyond this being like uh, a bottle episode and it all being done in real time, like we were talking about before, there's a lot of meta stuff going on here as well. Like the Joker is commenting on the action as it happens. And he's kind of pointing at the things the audience would point out. So for example, right after they arrive um, and they, the first thing that the Superman does is he scouts the space with his extra vision to find a bomb. And the Joker even comments like, oh yeah, it's almost like he's using his extra vision to find one. So they go and, diffuse it right away and even that moment of him kind of calling out like oh this is what superman would do in the same way the writers would go okay superman shows up and there's a bunch of bombs planted what would he do he'd x-ray it and it was just fun to watch the joker be that kind of voice of the audience that perspective talking things through and then adding his own amusing commentary mm-hmm. all along the way like man every time the joker shows up and they bring mark hamill back it just goes to show what a performance powerhouse he is and he just he just captures everything so perfectly and just all the attention immediately goes to him yeah i i read that scene a little differently we're not him acting as the writer but like i was trying to think how he would like as the joker how he would think through these processes oh okay and how he would have like done because that was the one specific fake bomb yes and so what he would have done like around the bombs where superman's vision would kind of go there first because he, like we said, there's 25 other bombs hidden around Vegas. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Superman latch on one of those first? Mm-hmm. So, like, what kind of red tape or like blinking light did he put around this one of like that's where he knows Superman's going to look first? Yeah. So he's almost like guiding, you know, he's playing like Dungeon Master. He's guiding them to their locations. Oh, okay. Now, there are other fake bombs because the one they find, the one that GL finds, the Nautilus Hotel is also a dud that's true yeah okay yeah. so yeah maybe there's a couple fake ones yeah but to your point he's definitely done something to draw them to those first yeah he's a genius he is the mad genius just a mad mad genius and so like we said he he has thrown a wrench at all this because this challenge on its own wouldn't be that difficult to your point the flash should just run around and take them all out himself but he, he's brought back up in the form of the first I guess we'll call it chronological iteration yeah. of the Royal Flush Gang, which I think we eventually come to realize is connected to Cadmus when we get into JLU. Right. But at this point, we just know that it's some weird shadowy government organization. So what what did you think about the backstory and the introduction of the, the Royal Flush Gang here? I, I think I'd known it was a Cadmus thing beforehand. Right. And so I was kind of looking at it through that lens, mm-hmm. and especially like looking at it through the Young Justice lens. Like when... We see because there's that one episode of Young Justice that follows the um, what's the team called? It's 
Static is part of the group. Oh, uh, they're not the outsiders. They're the um, I forget. Right, but yeah, they're similar to the outsiders. Where yeah. it's it's the five kind of um, kids that were uh, infected by the metagene, mm-hmm. and they're off in this government facility, just being really tested on. Yeah. and hating their lives. Mm-hmm. That's all that I saw when I when I saw them in that facility. Oh, uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of the interesting about revisiting in this stuff now is we can actually pinpoint where there were follow-up to this. So like this was just done as its own introduction to these characters. And I think they just wanted a general, like, Oh, it was a government storehouse sort of thing. Government experiments, how the Joker found them. But you know, they eventually kind of retcon that into being part of Cadmus and JLU, which you have seen first. Mm -hmm. And then to your point, yeah, like that's not an uncommon threat in comic storytelling, superhero storytelling of like the government secret, you know, meta test bed sort of thing. Yeah. And Young Justin particularly really latched onto that. So it's it's weird and kind of fun to go back and see, not necessarily a starting point, but an early incarnation of that idea, having right. seen it done really well down the line. Well, and, and also thinking about more mimicry between the, two, between the two stories, to break out of the facility, Lex is the one that helps them out. And they call him like Uncle Lex is the one that's saving them. Oh, yeah. And they start that. doing his bidding almost in the, in the exact same setting. Yeah. And so that's cool. If you look at both of them together, you always see the villain. It's like, oh, how could you team up with Joker? Mm-hmm. But now when we see, you know, good guy, we know Static before this. Yeah. At least, you know, if if you watch Static Shock yeah. uh, or read the comics, you know that like Static is a good guy. Mm-hmm. And you see all these kind of like moody teens who are just tired of being in this facility and they see this voice they don't understand it that is helping them out of course they're going to follow it they're going to do what it says because mm-hmm. he just helped them yeah i mean it also reminds me of uh the first season of x-men evolution when mystique is going around yeah. and recruiting her own mutants and i mean rogue obviously starts there and we know that she works her way over to the x-men which was in the original comics as well but it's kind of the same idea of like you guys are all outcasts you have reason to be frustrated and spiteful and angry and someone comes along and gives you a chance of like freedom and do something with your powers yeah you're gonna take it yeah you know and make you feel special exactly yeah it's the cult mentality it is and they've absolutely been brought into a cult and if there's anyone who can do that it's the joker look at harley quinn yeah <laughs> like and i i even love their dynamic over the course of this episode too because she's you know out in the uh, the helicopter the kind of eyes in the sky um and, you know, Batman even eventually kind of manipulates her. Mm-hmm. It's like, look at this. You're here away from the action, away from the Joker. He's spending all of his time with Ace. And you can see her trying to, like, justify why it's happening and realize, like, oh, I think he's duping me once again. Yeah. There's that, that constant dynamic that's going back and forth every time he, you know, betrays her and she still comes coming right back again. Um, but so, like, in terms of a... a, a superhero team or i guess a super villain team in this case do you like the powers of the, the royal flesh gang they're fine okay um you know i over over the the past year or so i've done like a big dive into power sets across the world and right kind of what superheroes look like from different countries mm-hmm. and america kind of has the same box that everything kind of lives in and i think royal flesh gang royal flesh gang is the like everything fits exactly in that box. Okay. You have the strong one, the one with the lasers, the stretchy one, um, the mind one, and uh, met- I guess like metal kinesis or, or yeah. magnokinesis, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, magnetism or even even slightly broader because like elemental manipulation. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's kind of complicated. Yeah, everything, everything kind of fits in that perfect cube. Yeah, that's a good point. It is kind of powers we're used to seeing mm-hmm. at this point. I, did you think any of them use the powers particularly well or creatively? I love Queen and her animation and, and creating like the metal suit of armor from quarters. Yeah, I, that's the one that stood out to me as well. I thought they actually did something clever with her. Yeah. And even like king because king has the laser yeah does he use it from his staff i'm trying to remember from his hands okay 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 and that's fine then uh yeah when it comes to those characters and especially the voices king is the one that like really stands out to me okay yeah off because you you knew that it was going to be the teen titans going in it's like the one thing you knew about this episode yeah and it sounds like you weren't necessarily super keen on the voice acting across them. Some of them worked. Okay. So, so for a time frame, for people wondering, this episode came out December 2003. Mm-hmm. Teen Titans season one would have just ended. Okay. Uh, I think uh, Apprentice part two was like November 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would have been like, this, this is like a very fun between season bit. Yeah. Like if I was a kid, this would have been hilarious and awesome. I was like, oh, and I can even imagine the advertising of like, oh, what are the Teen Titans doing in their free time right now? And then like playing a teaser of this, mm-hmm. I think would have been such a fun like kids WB kind of thing to do. Now, one thing, though, as a kid, do you think you would have picked up that it's the same voice actors? All of them. Uh, n- Not Starfire or Raven. Yeah. Because we don't hear them talk as much. And also Starfire is the only one that's kind of, or queen being starfire is the only one kind of using ah it. no queen is raven ace is starfire so no i would not have got that <laughs> yeah i went into this thinking that's how i was gonna play it too i think they did some kind of like um deliberate counter casting mm-hmm. there um I, I think i mean obviously uh you know the the cyborg voice is the most obvious yeah well, he also them. kind of like because when we see cyborg in what season three I think it's his season. He becomes Victor Stone yeah. at Hive Academy. It's a very similar look between the two. Yeah. And so for, for clarification, because I do have the list here. So it's, you know, uh, Greg Sipes is Beast Boy and he plays Jack. Yep. Scott Menville is Robin. He plays King. Carrie Payton is Cyborg. He plays 10. Tara Strong is Raven, plays Queen. And Hinden Walk is Starfire and plays Ace. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd say that um, 10 gets the most lines, probably of all of them. I would think. Yeah, I, I think so. Ten and Jack, I think, talk the most. Uh, I'd say Ten and King. I feel like there was only maybe one or two lines out of Jack. Oh, maybe I just blocked out yeah. King because it, it was because like the, the way they set up King and, you know, how I've always seen him because of Static and not Static, Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, the, you know, and it's because it's Robin. He's the leader. Yeah. And he's also like, in my mind, he's the oldest of them. It's George Lazenby. Yeah. In yeah, Batman exactly. Beyond. Yeah. Uh, it's very regal voice yeah and and also like beast boy and robin not like changing their and i guess cyborg doesn't change his voice at all but his yeah. kind of fits the character and like the build still. yeah but beast boy and, and robin just feel too young for this group a little bit yeah yeah like scott menville's voice is perfect for robin mm-hmm. um to the point where you actually see a picture of him in real life he he just he's so different from the character which speaks to his talent as a voice actor yeah but it's very jarring and here also i agree with you it does feel a little bit weird it makes him sound really juvenile and I, yes exactly and like they they're supposed to be kids i guess yeah. I, i'd say they're probably all what like late teens early 20s yeah would be my guess i think ace probably even a little bit on the younger side i think so yeah 
Um, I, but I, the outfits don't make them don't match, or maybe maybe it's just because of the previous history we have with them that that stuck with us. What do you mean that the outfits don't match? Well, I mean like King's outfit makes him look older. Which king? This king or the Batman Beyond this king? This king. This king. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It it doesn't feel like a teen outfit for some reason. That's fair. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It it feels like uh, an a like an ensemble of outfits for an older group than yeah, like teenagers. This, like I could see him like being a long lasting villain of Plastic Man. Okay. Yeah. Like they've been duking it out for decades now, just shooting laser blasts at Plastic Man. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's fair. I think I I do agree with you that the age they're supposed to be in the story, in combination with the voice acting, in combination with their look, it all doesn't quite gel. And I I did a little bit of cursory research I normally do. I I couldn't find anything as to why they decided to introduce the Royal Flush Gang here, in this episode. It does make sense. From a plot perspective, it's the Joker. You need to give him a, a bigger threat than just Harley when going up against the League. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense it'd have to be meta-powered to really go toe-to-toe. And the the theming of it makes sense. It's Joker, it's Vegas. That all kind of, Maybe that's just it. They just realize, like, oh, hey, like why not just have it be the Royal Flush Gang? Yeah. It does feel weird, given that the Royal Flush Gang that we know from Batman Beyond is this like long-running, very regal, very um, like high-class family of thieves yeah and this might be covered somewhere else for all i know i'm sure um the uh the watchtower database boys have covered this at some point but it, it feels weird to see like how this became that because you feel like they're not two separate entities one must have eventually led to the other right it's it's kind of hard to believe that there was already a family of like thieves somewhere in europe called the royal flushing at the same time as the joker just decides to make his own version of it well i mean but as Americans, we are very privy of just remaking British things a little bit worse. That is absolutely true. <laughs> it's the best possible explanation for what's going on here. Yes, this is the American remake of Britain's Royal Flush Gang. Yes. Actually, you know, and you can see the Joker doing that, too, of, like, either encountering them at some point or hearing about them and be like, oh, I'm just going to steal that idea. Because he says in this episode, oh, it just kind of came to me randomly. I don't know where it came from. But you know what? You're probably right. Yeah. He, he probably did know about the actual Royal Flush Gang. and said, screw it. We're just going to do they this. They probably both tried to steal the same thing at one point. They probably did. Something theme card themed. Yeah. Or playing card themes. Well, because for me, also... I think because I've watched it so recently with Justice League Doom, it opens with them fighting the Flush Gang. That's right, yeah. And that is also like a very kind of professional king. Yeah. Um, where he's kind of looking out for the family. And yeah, every iteration just feels so much older than this version. Yeah, this bunch of kids. Yeah. It it almost kind of worked a better. a bunch of a-holes. Exactly. It almost kind of would have worked better if they had not been the Royal Flush Gang, if they hadn't brought along that kind of baggage that comes with those characters. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I can see why they no, didn't. No, yeah, I, I like them being here. Yeah. And it's it's ultimately fun. Like, that's, I think, the best thing about this episode is that the, it's just really a really fun ride. Like, I found myself not taking a lot of notes and mostly just kind of sitting and watching these and enjoying these. Yeah. It, it has a similar vibe to like a hive storyline mm-hmm. where it's almost like this is their first time out of the facility and like the first time getting to experience the world. And so of course you would have 10 having this cocky attitude of like, 
I've never met anyone as strong as me. Of course I can beat Superman. Yeah. Like, yeah, like no way is he going to beat me. Like all of them coming in with this over cocky attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have played that up with all of them even. Or like, we're the best. We're so good that the most evil man in the world chose us over anyone else. It's fair. So like, yeah, we can beat him. Like Jack coming in with this attitude, like not even trying to beat Batman. He's like, oh yeah, Batman's just going to run away from me. Cause like, I'm so good at this. I'm so stretchy. Yeah. I'm so stretchy. He can't even escape. Like he's just going to quiver in fear. <laughs> and then we see like, like queen just throws quarters at flash. Like, yeah. That is her initial power. I mean, they do put the league on the back foot pretty quickly. Yeah. Actually, maybe because they just weren't expecting it. But yeah, I mean, well, we also see like it's a staggered entrance from everyone. So like when mm-hmm. they're first fighting, they're fighting three and then they're fighting four and then Hawkgirl and uh, GL come in and then it's kind of like an even-ish fight. Yeah. Was there any one of the the kind of splintered off fights that you found the most entertaining or the most fun? The the moment um, there's parts of each. So okay. the um, when 10 is fighting Superman Mm -hmm. and he kind of gives the, I can do this all day kind of speech and Superman just punches him into the stratosphere. (laughs) So he has time to defuse the bomb. It's good. Uh, That's great. And then when they have the, like the boxing analyst come in or like the boxer analyst come in. Oh yeah. And talk about the stats between Jack and Batman. Mm -hmm. It's like, he's having too many bat bat donuts over in the bat cave (laughs) over there. Like he's not the, he's not the fighter. He used to be Joker. Like I'll tell you that my money's on Jack. You just feel like whenever they bring the Joker in, it just injects the whole thing with this sort of like fun, quirky energy. And you you can imagine the writers get excited like, oh, we get to do a Joker episode. And this is a Dwayne McDuffie Joker episode, especially. So, I mean, you get his writing talent combined with that character. And the whole thing just it just pops. It sizzles. It has something fun and different and weird and energetic about it. It feels so different than everything we've gotten so far. And yeah, it's it almost like because there's so many characters playing into this, it's almost an Elseworld story. Oh yeah. Where okay. you have like the boxing analyst, because uh, we, we it were introduced to the TV guy first and he mm-hmm. fears Joker. Yeah. But then you look at the world that they're in this bubble. You have the boxing analyst who's just going on with Joker. You have the camera crew that's just going on with Joker. Yeah. You see multiple cameramen just like normal. They're not henchmen. Nope. Which I think would have been even funnier if they were dressed in like the henchman uniforms holding the cameras, it's yeah. not doing anything. <laughs> but no, it's normal people working the cameras. Like the two guy when Joker makes the volcano joke, uh, and he like looks at the 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 two cameramen and they like fake pity laugh. <laughs> He's like, no one likes a brown noser. <laughs> like that that is not a real Joker thing. Like that's not what a normal person would do. Yeah. But also working in Hollywood as we do, you do anything when <laughs> you're yeah. on set as as a lower tier person you just say yes yes <laughs> so that is actually the most accurate of hollywood <laughs> yeah you know the joker probably you know paid them all like guaranteed 12 hours probably put them all up at one of the hotels maybe not one of the great hotels in vegas but like you know a decent one maybe just like a little bit off strip yeah yeah you yeah, know they, they went to camelot exactly <laughs> god camelot What's the because there's three next to Camelot or there's two next to Camelot because that's like the end of the strip. Well, is, the is, it, is it Excalibur or is it called Camelot? No, it is. Yeah, sorry, it is. No, is it? I don't remember. It's pretty sure it's called Excalibur. Okay. And then there's the Luxor, which is past that, which mm-hmm. is the the Egyptian pyramid one. Um, the MGM Grand is also down at that end of the strip as well. Yeah, but that's like Caddy Corner. Yeah. 
It's across the street from yeah. It's it's catty corner from Excalibur. Yeah. Yeah, because there's because I the one that I stayed at was the neighbor to Excalibur, and I don't remember what it is anymore. Uh oh, I forget what that one is. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, <laughs> a, a lot. Of, let's be honest. A lot of them are fine. Like the the more theming that's going on, generally the lower the quality of the hotel. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I've only been there for two days. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> the first day I stayed at the Bellagio, and that was like oh well, yeah, yeah like nice <laughs> yeah i mean the bellagio is kind of exception it, actually caesar's palace is fairly nice for what it is mm-hmm. um but yeah i'd say the the bellagio is, is the best combination of theme and uh quality although oh wait hang on though the venetian the venetian, venetian is, is nice gorgeous. Yeah. yeah should we do mm-hmm. a bonus episode ranking our favorite, <laughs> our favorite hotels i also really like paris and the 48 hours that i've been there <laughs> so, yeah I've, I've been there a bit more than that i think i've gone Vegas. i think three times okay not four times actually yeah don't stay at the hard rock no well, okay if there's ever a choice anywhere except like maybe comic-con yeah like, never say the hard rock for anything i will say this though when i went there it was for a bachelor party and it was pretty fun because if you go to the hard rock you can just stay at the hard rock i i just did nothing but drink in a pool for four days That's which nice. sounds nice but my god by day four was i tired yeah well any any kind of vegas trip by day four you're exhausted oh my god never never do more than two never more than two right maybe like yeah two I'd say like a Friday afternoon, evening, a full Saturday and like a casual Sunday morning and get on a plane. Yeah. So we're coming up to my year from being in Vegas. Okay. I, I don't think I've told this quick story on the podcast. I was in Vegas when the pandemic started. That's right. Yes. The weekend oh everything God. shut down. I was in Vegas for a friend's birthday. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, and so like as we were walking down, because, you know, there's like the long corridors between the hotels. It's just a bunch of shopping. Yeah. Like as we would walk down the corridor, you could feel all the lights turning off as you walked by. Oh everything is shutting down. That's so weird. It, it was very weird. Very eerie. Yeah. But I mean, on the on the plus side of early pandemic, there was no line for anything. Yeah, see, I know. The like the last thing we did, we got brunch morning of Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and I remember getting like hustled out of the of the restaurant because they were closing for lunch and they weren't going to reopen. Yeah, uh, and so they were like trying to get us out the door as fast as they could, and I'm like, okay, yeah, now it's started, and now we're going to go home. God, what a what a weird time that was. It's a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the day they sent us home from the agency at lunch and like my friends and i went and grabbed lunch at the mall across the way and like had a drink like hey like this is gonna be like two weeks we'll be back i know <laughs> oh man i know when like Ugh. disney closed because that's that'll be next friday will be one year disney's been closed yeah and i remember my friends going for the last day it's like oh it's gonna be two weeks like you know we're gonna miss like four trips so yeah. let's just like make this one fun we'll get an extra drink and then like i heard it was a rager at disney that day i can't everyone even came in for that for that last closing day can't even imagine yeah hard pass <laughs> and i've heard also like a lot of people got sick after that day what a, was... what a surprise yeah uh yeah what were we talking about vegas know, oh right the joker yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean you know and you know we kind of get through um yeah, the first episode is them going off and fighting the Royal Flush Gang and defusing the bombs. Um, and then Green Lantern is trying to defuse the one at the the Western-themed uh, casino. And they're fighting with Queen. Hawkgirl comes in, takes her out. And they, you know, the Joker base is like, oh, I'm not going to let you de- like defuse this one. Let's add some dramatic, you know, tension into this moment here between you two. So he just detonates the bomb early. And the last thing John does before the bomb goes off is he just shoot blasts Hawkgirl out of the room so she won't get hit. 
and he takes the full brunt of the explosion. And he even says he's not certain that his ring can contain that blast, which yeah. is bullshit. It's kind of bullshit, but whatever. We'll go with it. Also, constructs. He made actual constructs in this episode. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. What he made, made a sword for when he was fighting with Queen. Amazing. He made a pair of pliers to extract the, the yeah, red metal yeah, collar. Yeah, and that. he made a pair of wire cutters to cut the wire. He could have just used a little laser blast and shot them like Superman does with the heat vision. He made some constructs, Cameron. Well, because Superman knows he can survive, he can be a little more loosey-goosey with this. <laughs> John has to be a little more precise. I, I also do kind of love that the last thing that uh, John does before he's like taken out of commission by this mask. make a construct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'll teach him no more yeah, constructs. Like, this is why I don't do it. <laughs> Folks, Cameron looking deadpan into the, into the camera. Right. But yeah, so the last thing that happens before the episode ends is that uh, the bomb goes off and uh, we, you know, we just don't know how it's going to end. And so then it, you know, picks up again in part two and, you know, Hawkgirl realizes that John has been like knocked out by the blast and uses her mace to resuscitate him and then flies him off. And, you know, Batman's basically like, okay, well then hurry back. We need to keep up this fight. She's like, no, Hawkgirl out. And it's like, she wants nothing to do with this fight. She's just most concerned about getting John um, out of there. And then from there, it kind of keeps picking up again with a lot of this, the, the back end fight back and forth kind of action thing they've basically defused all the bombs but of course the joker being the joker has one more in this case literal ace up his sleeve oh yeah this twist i was not expecting it all oh okay this. yeah yeah so okay so now but you knew who ace was as a character because of epilogue yes but i didn't know this was her because i from epilogue this isn't the same power we see her use it's a little different it's because she, she's almost making like breaking reality is how I see it in epilogue. I think that is meant to be an extension of her power. Cause it, it even say here that it's not that she just, she doesn't just make people go crazy that she messes with people's perception of reality. So we yeah. even see that when she does unleash her powers, you know, one guy imagines that he's melting into the, um, the control booth. The person imagines like a snake is coming out of his mouth and eating him. So I, I think it's, in this episode, yeah, but those are like individual hallucinations, right? Whereas epilogue, it was everyone was seeing the castle. Exactly. So I think she does have. So either by the time it gets to epilogue, it's a full-on actual modification of reality, or it's just her powers growing so much that she can make a lot of people see. Yeah, it's, it's a Jean Grey situation. Exactly. See it simultaneously. Okay, but so you, so you were surprised by this, by this twist that the the true purpose of all this was to put Ace in front of. 70 million people and make them all go crazy mm -hmm. yeah i was shocked i did not expect that oh okay because it also felt like very real because people watching this chaos is it felt the same vibe as people watching a car chase on tv <laughs> and I, that's all i could think of is like i remember in my first job in la if there was a car chase going on work stopped because there were like four people in my office that loved it so much they would refuse to do any work until the person was caught really yeah it was a weird work environment okay, i was gonna say yeah that's yeah very and they bizarre. would like just like in full screen on both monitors was just watching the the chase and people would walk by their chair and just watch with them <laughs> people love car chases I, sure I yeah mean, I, I don't get it but it, it's also the joke from like anchorman 2 yeah i think my favorite joke from anchorman 2 <laughs> is when ron burgundy realizes that that's how you get viewers yeah is to talk over <laughs> be the commentator for a car chase it's, it's probably the one brilliant moment in the entire it's, movie. it's the best moment of that movie yeah. for sure uh but that's what it is and you have people like 
just like, oh man, like what Joker going to do next? Like he's, it's not affecting me personally. So it's fun to watch other people deal with this stuff. Yeah. So then of course, like, oh yeah, of course they're going to have high viewership on this. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's a, this episode too, it almost comes like a commentary as well, that people would tune into this and people probably who weren't even initially watching it have like changed over the channel to watch. Cause let's be honest, this world, people know of the Justice League. I mean, we talk a lot about uh, the Gorilla Grodd fight in the big stadium a few episodes ago. Like, they are, there's public knowledge of these characters, these people, but they don't get seen a lot. Like, when have they ever been able to watch the Justice League fight supervillains on TV before? Like, yeah. this would be captivating for people in this world. You kind of believe that they would get 60, 70 million people watching this right. in and an I, evening. And I'm trying to compare it to the Grodd fight, because Grodd was just in Gotham. Yeah. So I assume it was more of like a local game. We don't know if it was a, if like full on NFL. I think we can assume it was an NFL game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So you definitely had people changing to to check that out. Yeah. I in in my head the the story I'd written that that was like a local game. Oh, okay. And so like it was just the local channels that get it, or it's like ESPN Southwest that got it, <laughs> and you had like people screaming. You know, they get a call from the neighbor. It's like, oh, turn to channel like forty two when the Justice League's on. It's like I don't have channel forty two. I didn't buy that package. I also feel like Gothamites would just be kind of like done with this at this point. They're like, it's just another superhero fight. Oh, yeah, What's Gotham, the big deal? Gotham's over it. Yeah, we don't care anymore. We've dealt with this for our entire yeah, fucking Yeah, you have lives. like Smallville people. <laughs> Can't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's like the, the, the big twist here is that aces can turn everyone crazy and it, and it starts to affect everyone. Like Flash Superman are, are paralyzed. They can't move. And of course, it's up to, to Batman to kind of like push through the end. And he tricks Harley into leading him to the Joker. Um, and even then, like the Joker has the upper hand because Batman is unstable. Like he is starting to lose his focus on reality as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and the Joker almost has him until Batman pulls the, um, restraining band out of his jacket. So we established earlier that when the Royal Flush gang were at this government facility, the one thing they could do to control Ace, who was so powerful that even as a baby, she like made her parents go crazy because she couldn't control her powers. They could put this, this headband on her that would basically neutralize her powers. And for her, that's the symbol of being in a cage, of being oppressed, of being controlled. And so the one person who she thinks can actually help her has been secretly holding onto her this entire time. And she turns on a dime. Yeah. And it is, it, there's an interesting dynamic happening there because, you know, the Joker even says like, you're all going crazy. If this won't affect me, I'm already crazy. But then in turn, Ace says, I know what it's like to have people fear you. I'm not afraid of you. Yeah. I think he's probably the only person to ever actually say that to the Joker's face. Oh, absolutely. Because he is the monger of fear. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, obviously, like, even Batman fears him for yeah. sure. Because of just his pure chaos. Mm -hmm. So yeah, having a, a child even yeah. come up to him. That, that must have really rattled everyone yeah i mean it's as again it's a great moment and it's a side of joker we've never seen before we've seen him desperate but never like this mm -hmm. like the whole facade just kind of crumbles and he's just like oh i might complete someone else's mercy and i don't think he's ever been in that kind of position before and cared right yeah because batman can't do this to him no 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 one has ever had the power to like truly show him what crazy is because mm -hmm. no one no there's never been a crazier person in the room with him exactly <laughs> try as gotham might they can't find one crazier than the joker yeah, they tried with the creeper they did. <laughs> that was more just an annoyance yeah than anything else but yeah i mean ace basically goes into his head and leaves him in a, in a catatonic state now we of course know he comes out of this 
um, because I'm pretty sure, well, out of necessity, the events of Batman Beyond Return of the Joker would have to take place after this. Right. If one is trying to keep track of the crazy continuity that is the DCAU. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's certainly a good way to kind of put a button the whole thing of, like, how is the Joker defeated? He's, like, hoisted by his own petard, essentially. He's taken out by, like, his secret weapon. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. It's it's very, very good. And it's, it's a great turn, because I feel like we've seen similar storylines with the, like, it's always, like, hypnosis on the TV. Mm-hmm. So that was even, like, uh, Batman and Robin, almost. Where... Batman Forever. Damn it. Ah! It's your favorite one, too, I know, and you heard me. you heard me say the yeah. F. <laughs> I almost had it there. Batman for Robin. Yes, Batman for Robin. Um, yeah, with with Riddler has has a story has a similar story where he's using the TV as a brainwashing device, yeah, and a memory stealing device. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even like um the Mad Mod episode from Teen Titans. Oh yeah, is Mad Mod brings them into the crazy house, mm-hmm. and Beast Boy continually gets hypnotized because he forgets that's what happens when he turns the TV on. That's right, yeah. Which is exactly what I would do. Like anytime there's yeah. a screen on, I'm gonna turn it on. Yeah, it's like oh shit, my bad. But it's and you know the, the usually the way the stories ends is the way they do in Batman Forever. It's you know the technology is turned on the villain, but because here it's not a piece of technology, it's a person. It's that much more impactful when it happens, and I think it's just more even more um, exciting and uh, captivating to watch. Absolutely, uh, it's so good. But I mean, so you know, all this has been going on, and then you know we cut to the Watchtower at the end here, where you know, John has more or less recovered, and and Hot Girls there. Um, and John's finally like, we need to talk about this. Like, you know, this has been going on long enough. Um, and you know, he, they basically finally admit that, you know, they're, I guess we can call it what it is. Like they're in love with each other. Yeah. And it's also the first time we see Hawker without her helmet. Yeah. We get to see Shaira. Yeah. It's a really nice moment there at the end. It's something that could have felt really forced or cheesy or smaltzy, but I don't know for me watching, it felt very sincere and very heartfelt that yes this moment did i feel like everything leading up to this still was a little flat in comparison to like other relationships we see blossom in are you stories do you mean in this episode specifically or just the general will they won't they over the last two seasons with them uh b okay i think that's fair i mean there have only been what maybe three or four episodes that have even really touched upon it and some of those episodes have also been really bad like we've excluded them from our our short list yeah um i mean this is the one that makes like a the big leap forward towards them actually getting together. Right. Um, yeah. And I just don't think it was ever a big element. It's not like, you know, every, especially this era, most shows had their, their will, they won't, they, their yeah, Ross, Ross and Rachel, Rachel. their, I guess what Sam and Diane, I think from cheers, like mm-hmm. another classic example, this is the show's version of it. It was definitely meant to be like a B plot running through the whole thing, but it was never played up very heavily. Right. Until here. And I, I agree with you. It was kind of flat, but I think in this moment, at least, um, it works pretty well. Yeah. And, and it might just be like an age thing. Cause all the other ones that I can think of in the DCU or the DC stories, you have like Robin and Starfire, mm-hmm. but that's more of like a teen romance. It's yeah. like naturally happens and it makes sense. Um, Megan and Connor, I think is, is one of the, the best ones. Yeah. That one's really nice. Especially because you have Wally coming in and flash kind of does it a little bit in season one mm-hmm. where he's the one flirting with the hot girl and she's not having it. And you have obviously Wally fawning over Megan yeah. every chance he gets, uh, when she's telepathically hooking up with <laughs> Superboy behind his back. I mean, I don't blame her. Yeah. Yeah. Wood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 
I think because it is, they couldn't do the same like tropes because it is still a kid's show in the end. Yeah. It's harder to show like, this is what a healthy functional adult. This is how a healthy functional man shows his admiration for a woman without passing a note that says, do you like me? Check yes for yes. Check no for no. Yes. There are levels of romance beyond that. I've that's why I've <laughs> not dated in a while. Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. though that maybe I'm not emotionally grown past that standpoint. Right. Uh, and I, I agree with you. And I think, I think that kind of storytelling has just improved over time. It's also, I think an element of serialized storytelling, which the show didn't really do except for this plot thread. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think it does a, a fine enough job. And then, it, you know, Again, you haven't seen Starcross, but this will play a big part in Starcross. I think you basically know what happens at this point, but we'll hold on to it until we actually get to the episode. It's a Christmas episode, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to find the North the North Star. The exactly. North yes. Christmas Chronicles 2 just ripped off the yeah. plot line for this. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's a nice moment. And, you know, because they actually end up in a relationship at the end of this, you know, it's obviously really important. But I just think overall, this is a really great episode. I, I think it's so different than everything else. It's such a fun dynamic shift. Um and especially coming at the end of the series, I think it's a great place to slot this into because mm-hmm. this is the last quote unquote normal two-parter we're going to get before the finale. Um, and it's so different. I think it's just fantastic. Yes, I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on these, uh, these couple episodes here? Um, I don't, there was a line from Joker and I, I love this line because it like really, especially after, this is after Batman tried to convince Harley that he's like, she's been replaced with Ace. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, and it's all thanks to you, the best homicidal sidekick a maniac could ask for. Uh, like that feels like a straight punch in the face to Harley. Yeah, pretty much. He must always pay her backhanded compliments lest she get too complacent. Yeah. Oh, and then the, the end of the button is oh. Batman talking to Hawkgirl and her, I think, like, apologizing for leaving. Yeah. If we don't leave a man behind. It's like, what about every other time, Batman, you've left everyone behind? I mean, John specifically has been yeah. left behind in the Savage Time. Now, to be fair, Batman wasn't there to, to stop that from happening. But, yeah, they do tend to leave people behind, don't yes, they? Yes, yeah. pretty often. Yeah. But, look, it is a nice moment for Batman to recognize someone else's empathy like you expect him to be a hard ass there but the fact that he actually takes a softer approach i think says a lot about his character but i thought you meant the the very final button of this episode which is all the way through there's been one old lady who just continues with a slot machine yes she, she doesn't care what's, wins. doesn't care what's going on and after hot girl and john kiss it cuts back to her and she goes well it's about time and then finally the jackpot pays out on the the slot machine and i thought that was like the, the perfect little meta button joke to throw on the end of this here yeah it was great yeah great editing on that part <laughs> no i i love these these are super fun some of my favorites actually so all right well shall we uh, move on at this point let's move on we have a a, a new segment yes well so we're gonna do things a new one-time segment a one-time thing we're doing things a little bit differently so uh in lieu of the normal back-end stuff which would be notes from friends cameron's question corner and uh bat plugs we're gonna do a little bit of a, a wandavision spoiler discussion we're gonna call it what's going on with wandavision yeah. <laughs> yes tune in to wandavision so we haven't really talked about it all the last uh eight weeks but it's finally over and we figured this is probably the best time to actually chat about it a little bit. So, uh, yes. if you... and, and not even just the show, but the culture that evolved from the show. Right. And so if you uh, haven't 
watched it yet or you don't care, uh, you can always skip to the very end. But there's really going to give me nothing left after this, to be perfectly honest, except for the outro. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's timestamps down in the uh, in the show notes. So, but let's talk a little WandaVision. So, Cameron, overall, what did you, how did you feel about WandaVision now that it's over? I loved it. Okay. I think this was some of the best storytelling Marvel has done. Okay. Um, it is such a great character piece mm-hmm. on its own. And, you know, there, there's a lot of meta commentary going on about this show about a woman using television to avoid her problems <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic. It, it's a very, like, meta take. And I, yeah, yeah. personally, I love the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it did, like, have me wanting more because of the conversations going on outside of the show. Yeah. But in the end, I felt for wanda Mm -hmm. i think she was really screwed in the series yeah you know everyone gets a happy ending except her and that really hurts Mm -hmm. um yeah overall loved it okay it's like if if i were to put this in a marvel ranking it would be in the top 10 okay all right so very strong recommendations then on your part yes uh and i i assume you have different thoughts i even just just focusing in on the show, not right. Going yeah, and I'm going to start talking about the show. So even I think it's hard to separate the two. I think it did a nice job telling a very specific story about her grief. Yes, and I think that the way it ended was perfect. The fact that you're right, she didn't really get a happy ending. That the you know the the lies she had built around herself, the the hex construct she created around herself to try and escape from her grief and make her happy. She had to let go of all of that. And I thought that was really well done. And I thought the the final moment with her and vision and the boys is really good. And then especially the final moment between her and vision where she's basically like, you know, what are you? You are the piece, the mind stone that resides still in me. And, you know, it gives me hope that there might be a future for us down the line. Like it's a very like healthy, cathartic, nice way to kind of wrap things up. Yeah, it, it, you can track these episodes to the stages of grief. Exactly. Yeah, and and I think I think that specific story they were telling was really good. I think everything else that was happening in the show around that story put it at odds with the emotional heart. Like, I the first few episodes I liked, I didn't love, but I I was enjoying the idea of them doing both a send up of those eras of television while also making sincere remakes of them as well. Like, you know, it's a sincere version of the Dick Van Dyke show of bewitched while also being like a little bit tongue in cheek and a little, you know, not a winky through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And with characters we know and in a totally different environment, like I was really enjoying the, the episodic element of it being week to week and it being of a new era was kind of fun. And then as they started to bring in more mystery, then I started to get more invested in the show. I wouldn't say I was super invested initially. And the mystery was part of what was keeping me invested. And I think at a certain point they stopped it being about mystery and it just being about, um, cliffhangers Mm -hmm. like about halfway through, it really stopped feeling episodic and it felt like an ongoing narrative with very strategic, cliffhanger endings that's keeping you going week to week and i think that the mystery and the cliffhangers were keeping people invested in lieu of actual story momentum because they weren't they weren't really doing you know new challenge payoff new challenge resolution new question new answer it was basically just every week was new questions new challenges new mysteries and no answers all the way through 
I think they took a little bit from the uh, the J.K. Rowling playbook of storytelling structure, and we're going to put aside that, that she's a garbage human being and just focus on how she tells stories, which is a bunch of mystery, and then all of the exposition and explanation is the very, very end. Mm-hmm. I felt like this show did that, but because my investment, and I think it's fair to say a lot of other people's investment, was so focused on pay off those mysteries that when they didn't answer a lot of those questions and there weren't a lot of those payoffs, that's what I was more invested in. And I had lost track of the emotional arc of the show, which is ultimately what they resolved and the more important thing, but that's not what I was focused on. Right. And I think that can, well, so, so two things on that, you brought up a JK Rowling structure. I, I compare it to the HBO structure where especially like okay, a yeah. show like Westworld. And the reason that I stopped watching Westworld yes. is it's that format. It's, Every episode just leaves you with more questions, hoping that people want the answer enough. They'll stick through to episode 12. Right. When that's when they'll drop all the answers. And I think it's a fair comparison. And I think Westworld, especially season one, benefited from being so different than its source material. And the source material wasn't as, you know, broad or deep as comic storytelling that you could speculate as well as going to happen. But it wasn't like you had expectations Right. And I think that worked against this show. Yes, exactly. Having it in, and I think that's going to be the problem that every Marvel show is going to have, that it's always going to be compared to another storyline because we're now matching how comics used to work. Right. Of having these weekly stories. And I, and I think, I think this one is going to suffer. And let me just say this overall. Overall, I actually quite enjoyed a lot of it. Yes. Um, and I definitely want to go back and do a rewatch. And I think watching it continuously and focusing more on the emotional arc, I think I'll appreciate it more. Like a good friend of mine watched all eight episodes, like days before the finale. And I think overall came away liking it much more than I did. Mm-hmm. But I think this show had a lot of things working against it in ways that are not entirely its fault, but in some ways that were structurally built into it. And I think in not helpful way. So well, let's let's put some blame, jokingly, on Paul Bettany. Well, yeah, and yeah, <laughs> his like tease of like, oh, I've, he, an actor he's been super excited to work with this entire time, and he was just making a, a trolling comment about working with himself. He he feels like because my friend made this joke that he's become the anti Tom Holland. He is. Where instead of spoiling the show, he's made so much more anticipation by lying about the show. There there was a great. Uh, assembly of clips i saw this week of him constantly reminding other people in interviews that snitches get stitches yeah <laughs> just i love paul Bettany; he's great but i think look there's a couple things that worked against it and i think one thing worth pointing out right at the beginning is this does a lot to set up wanda going forward as being a witch and a sorcerer rather than being this kind of ambiguously powered meta um pushing her more towards her comic version this show was originally meant to come out mere months before Doctor Strange 2, which we know she'll be in and which is clearly going to be a continuation of her story. Yes. They even name drop, not necessarily Doctor Strange, but the Sorcerer, Sorcerer Supreme. Supreme. So it doesn't help that it leaves all these questions unanswered about who she is and what the implications of her powers are, knowing that we're not going to get answers for another year plus when originally we were only meant to have it be a couple months gap. I think that works doesn't work in its favor. I think the fact that it wasn't originally meant to be the first Marvel show yes. initially worked in its favor, but being something completely weird and different ultimately worked against it because I expect the Falcon Winter Soldier is going to have some twists and surprises, but I think that's going to be more of what we come to expect. And I think Loki is going to be so weird and different. It's just going to be its own like pocket fun adventure thing. This feels like a show that's definitely setting up a lot going forward. 
and I think having it be the first one after we've been missing Marvel for almost two years, and also it being the first new property where the Fox acquisition has happened. Mm-hmm. They now have access to these characters. It's focused around a character that is the like the the connection point between the MCU as we know it and the mutants and that side of Marvel we haven't had so far. There are always expectations of, oh, this is setting up mutants. Oh, anyone who passes through her hex is going to become a mutant. Yep. Like, that sort of speculation is always going to happen. But I think the fervor around it was heightened by the fact that we've been dying for that sort of stuff. And that we kind of feel like, oh, well, they should have started to lay out this groundwork by now. But realistically, they haven't. Because when the show was made, they didn't have Fox yet. They hadn't put these pieces in place. Well, sorry to to cut you off like I always do Mm -hmm. constantly every day. Um there was another point of conversation because even just talking about the Disney plus side of it, this coming after Mando season two. Yeah. And people being so hyped for that. And especially the, like the uh, Luke Skywalker cameo at the end. Yeah. Everyone wanted that again. Yeah. And I feel like Mando season two, like brought this hype for storytelling again, because we were starved of it for months. Yeah. And so people wanted these world changing events and I remember, because I obviously fell into this trap like everyone else. Like, I wanted these big things to happen. Yeah. And I would try and remind myself and my friends constantly of, like, they're not going to do a world-changing event in a series. Not yet. Yeah. They're going to save those for movies, because it has to be. You can't go from Endgame to Doctor Strange, and now there's seven Doctor Stranges, because they've already opened up the multiverse in another property. Yeah. Like, they're just not going to do it. It's They're, like... It was the problem with like Agents of Shield and people wanted groundbreaking things in Agents of Shield, but they were set back because they couldn't do those changes outside of the movie verse. Right. And those shows especially were like questionably connected to the movies, whereas this is firmly planted in it. But to your point, it's hard to justify or it's hard to make a big dynamic shift in a show that's on a subscription service rather than a movie that anyone could go and see. Yeah. So with also the quality being so good. Yeah, because that was my friend's argument is like they're not spending four million an episode to not make anything groundbreaking. Right. And I'm like, but but it's still different. It's still different. And you have to remember, it's still different. It, it, it is different For now. Yeah. For now. It's the first technically the second. It's the first show. They're not going to do new things in the first show. Right. Because they don't know if it's going to work. Exactly. And, and I think it would have benefited from not being the first show and for us to have a little bit of a palate cleanser between the Mandalorian to your point. Um, and to have been given something maybe more familiar with Falcon or soldier, something just super out there in its own like pocket thing with Loki before this, which the, both those shows are intended to be before. Not even, this not show. even just that we're supposed to get Eternals before this. We're well, yeah. supposed to get black widow before this. We're supposed to have three other properties before this show even started. Yes, exactly. So it, it wasn't intended to be the first one. I get why they would just want to put anything they had out there. And if the show was ready, why not go ahead and, and put it out there? Yeah. I'm glad they did. It's not, it's outside of their control when they had to put it out there. I totally understand why they did it. I just, I think it, it muddled the whole thing. And you know, I, I'm normally not one to like sit and do a lot of like speculations like that, but I love the X-Men. Like mm-hmm. my love of the X-Men is just below my love of Batman. Like I, oh, I didn't know that. I love like I I had as much love of the X Men as much like obsession of the X Men as a kid with Batman, but you know the Batman one just carried through more because we continue to have like really good Batman stuff and the X Men we just it's not as 
<laughs> present, and a lot of those movies have been pretty bad. But, you know, I love the X-Men. So the idea that, oh my God, they're going to start bringing in mutants. They're going to start bringing in the X-Men, that, that there might be some sort of bridging thing there. Got me super excited. And I will actually fault the show on this one. I think the casting of Evan Peters was a a red herring yeah a a horrible red herring and look i think the way to read that is it it was their own version of a meta joke Mm -hmm. which does fit in the tone of the show they were doing as a meta show however marvel with the mcu doesn't do anything casually everything is very very deliberate or at least has the perception of being very very deliberate and you feel like the casting of evan peters in that role was a very deliberate choice and was deliberate in terms of the implications of it, especially knowing that we were heading towards eventually some sort of multiverse thing. And maybe there will be an explanation in Doctor Strange 2 as to why Agatha chose him specifically to be the the avatar for fake Pietro. But the fact that the show didn't ever even address it, I found frustrating. Right. Well, it's the same frustration I felt with, like, uh, people brought up the, not Mandalorian, Mandarin. Oh, okay, yeah. Twist back in Iron Man 3 mm-hmm. of, like, having this huge figure that we all know from comics. And then Twist, it's not him. He's an actor. It's yeah. someone else. It's a white guy now. I love that joke, though. <laughs> I, 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 a, I, a white man. I, not being a, a big Iron Man comic reader and not really knowing anything about the, Mandal- like the Mandarin, I fucking love that. I, I saw someone basically say, like, it, I think it was even on the Weekly Planet, they said it would be the same thing as if they introduced a Joker and he wasn't actually the Joker. He was just some guy playing the Joker. Yeah. And I get that that would be maybe super pissed off if someone did that. I love that reveal but i see your point like it when and also because i i didn't see this but people brought up the closed captioning of that episode when we first meet that pietro mm-hmm. apparently in parentheses it says fox's quicksilver oh did it i didn't even catch that. fox's peter oh i missed that saying saying the first line oh okay i i honestly missed that entirely and i do watch the closed caption at six... it might have been like an international closed caption okay. version because i because obviously we both watched with captions on yeah we've grown old because i also watch it at 6 a.m the day it comes out before i go to work same um so like it you you can't look you can't control you can't it's not the show's fault that fans have these wild speculations and you know i i would see you know i've like other than you two other friends that i see during lockdown and you know we would end up watching these like easter egg videos it's normally not my jam at all and that probably helped me think like, oh, it could be all these cool things. Mephisto, Mephisto. Mephisto, it could be, you know, like the Nexus. Also Reed stuff. Richards, exactly. John he's going to be in it. Exactly. So like I was maybe buying into that space a little more than I would normally. But I will say that it didn't help when you do things like have it be Evan Peters, Pietro. Right. And Just adding fuel to the fire. A- exactly. Adding fuel to the fire. And I just think the the idea of it being a week to week meta take on sitcoms was interesting, but they kind of abandoned that in the last third. And even for me, Agatha as a character reached her peak with Agatha all along, which is one of the greatest bops I've ever heard in my entire life. And I've listened to it way more than I pop, like probably and you're should. not even on TikTok. I'm not even on it's TikTok. It's like every third song. On and TikTok I can't, now. I can't escape it. I, for me, that was her peak. And honestly, like the next episode where they went to the backstory was interesting. And you know, answered some of the questions up to that point but from that point on agatha just became a generic marvel villain 
the whole like the finale and a clone villain, which is what we hate. Yeah, the the finale for me was just generic Marvel superpower fighting, which I suppose was inevitable that it would get there. But when you start out doing something so entirely different, and you abandon that conceit partway through, and then just give us exactly what we have seen a million times before, and in that process you set up a whole bunch of mysteries that don't have payoffs and distract from the ultimate catharsis of the show they're trying to tell. To me, it was kind of a noble failure at the end of the day. Yeah, and and I understand a lot of the choices they make. Marvel can never tell who fans are going to latch onto at any point. Right. Because obviously, like, for the fans, Jimmy Woo was the standout character of the show. I would say, like, right behind Agatha. Okay, I would say for me it was... I mean, also, I love Catherine Hahn. I love her so much. Yes. So. Yeah. I mean, she she is amazing. And like a lot of people fawn over her, but I don't think Marvel was expecting the same love to come to the three side characters outside the hex. Probably. Yeah. Because like they're like basically cults built up for Jimmy Woo after this. He's series. great. He's... People like when he wasn't in an episode, I saw so much rage across the Internet. Fucking... Like, how dare you not put the best character? In... Like Marvel didn't know you were going to like this char- character. Yeah. I like, think about when. Like the the biggest thing for me will always be the delay of Baby Yoda merch after the first. Oh yeah, because I don't think Disney expected it to take off the same way that it did. But how did you? How did they not know? Well, that's that's the question: is how did you not know? Because even like Baby Groot stuff, when the second Guardians premiered, they already had like Groot in the flower pot because they knew that was going to take off. Yeah, like that was the first piece of merch that I saw was Baby Groot. Yeah. And so, like, if you have that prepared, like, you know what's going to be big. Mm-hmm. And them not doing it for Baby Yoda, just, like, because there was four months before Disney put out actual, because it was all fan merch before that. Yeah. And even then, the merch they put out was not good at first. And now you can't very escape ugly it. Very ugly t-shirts. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's hard for Disney to tell what they think, you know, Disney and the execs have a very different set of what's going to take off compared to right. what the fans actually latch onto. And, and, and that's fair. And, and they might've not thought, I mean, obviously I don't think they were expecting the same intensity of fan theories to come out. Yeah. And I think that obviously made the Evan Peters thing so much worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I think the Evans Peters thing was like a really frustrating red herring rather than a, a clever and satisfying one, which at the end of the day, a, a red herring should be clever and satisfying and not frustrating. Yeah. Um, as long as it's done by a character named red, herring. especially <laughs> with stuff by a character named red herring, but that may have just biased me for all red herrings in the future. I feel like all red herring should be as clever <laughs> as red herring in a pup named Scooby-Doo, but you know, and I like, I love the, and speaking of which, like, Darcy, Jimmy, and Monica were kind of their own little mini Scooby gang. Yeah, they were awesome. And like people want their own, like they want them to have their own show. Yeah. And I felt like they were also kind of, I felt like it was. Darcy had one line in the finale. I know, one (laughs) line. And again, it felt like they were laying all of these threads all the way through that felt like they had purpose. At the end, a lot of those characters, a lot of those threads were abandoned. And then they just made it feel like everything that preceded had been filler that it had been used to expand out the story rather than keeping it nice and tight and concise. And maybe these are all threads that are going to pick up down the line, but they didn't feel like a set. It didn't feel like there was any sort of like resolution with a tease for a future. It just felt like things were just dropped. I, I disagree with that on some points 
because I think we talked up every storyline so much. We wanted every character to have these grand. Cause I mean, like think about Monica's arc of coming in with this pain of not being able to save the person she cared about most. She was gone when her mother died. Mm -hmm. And then she goes in and tries to help Wanda because that's her mission. That's her mom's mission was to work for sword and she's doing what sword wants. And then she no, and then she fails that mission. She learns that sword is now a corrupt agency under someone that she trusted. Yeah. Not obviously like Hydra corrupt, but just a guy who pulled a gun on children and shot a full clip at them. That yes, that's (laughs) super fucked up. Yeah. Um, Um, to then having powers, powers that she admired as a child and now can almost emulate. And because of that, she's now being brought up to the next level, the level she's dreamed about her entire, like that is a full arc for Monica. Like that is amazing. And that's obviously going to follow through and we can assume in Captain Marvel two or Miss Marvel. Yeah. Both. Wu It wasn't, I don't think supposed to have a story arc. He was the FBI agent who was doing his best to stand against Hayward the whole time. And that is what he did Mm -hmm. the entire time. He even got coffee for Darcy. Darcy wasn't supposed to be this like monumental character. They weren't supposed to have this huge, like you said, Scooby adventure. She was there as the scientist who got, she like it same way she did in Thor. She got her hands a little dirty in the action. And then once that was over, she's done because she hates paperwork and that's her character. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe less so on those two, but I agree with you that Monica did have a full arc. But in some ways, she was kind of a co-lead through most of the series. And yes, she had her arc, she got her superpowers, and then did nothing with them. And she was barely even in the finale. I think that maybe that was part of my problem, is the show had been setting up that, yeah, it's built around Wanda, and obviously the Vision is a huge part of that, and Agnes is a huge part of that, but so are all these other characters. And at the end, it just became Wanda's story again, which is what it should be. It should be Wanda's story. Yeah. But... To the point where Agnes, now as Agatha, had almost nothing to do in the finale. It was not interesting at all. Um, Monica, she got her powers. She, like, chatted with Ralph, Ralph Boner, a.k.a. fake Pietro for a little bit, and then jumped in front of a bunch of bullets and then was done. And then it's like, oh, but, you know, you're going to go to space now at the end, teasing with, like, the, yeah, the but, scroll Talos thing. But with that, I don't think, like, I don't think she knew she had powers. Like, she was able to obviously, like, see in the hex better. But there was no explanation besides like, oh, your DNA has been altered. She didn't know that's how what it meant to have her DNA altered. And the fact that she jumped in front of the kids was her sacrifice moment. She was going, she was planning on taking the bullet to go down for Wanda, for her, for the kids, for Wanda's sanity. Yeah, I mean that's fine. But then, then the powers activate. She doesn't know they're going to activate. She wasn't planning on stopping the bullets. And that's that's all well and fine, but to me, that's not an interesting completion of her arc and if she's supposed to be a b story character in which case she is supposed to be a reflection of the a story character's growth which in this case the whole show is about grief there at no point did ever really feel like wanda learned something valuable from monica either right and i I think that was it it's just they had set all these things up and at the very end it's like well we're just not gonna we don't have time to address really what happens with monica we don't have time to address what happens vision he's gonna have that great conversation with um fake vision i love that, that gonna I, I found that so fascinating also i, I want to give myself a little bit of a shout out here i knew about the ship of theseus before As this because <laughs> i'm pretty sure we had talked about it on this podcast do you know why what character i have always associated with it i i don't wally i the first robot? yeah i okay. first learned about the the ship of theseus 
in connection with Wally. Because the question is, the end of Wally, is it still Wally? He's had pretty much every single component of his replaced, okay. including his circuit board. Is he still Wally at the end of it? So I first learned about this. 10 years ago or something like that and every once in a while i'm like oh hey like this is kind of the ship of theseus so they have it called out in a show i was like oh my god nerd justification <laughs> i think i think i learned about it from one piece the anime that would also probably make sense because there's yeah. a moment where they like they're about to lose their ship oh, the going merry yeah. and they're trying to get it fixed and it's like it's still gonna be the going merry because it's still our ship yeah and that was kind of their final exactly so yeah it, 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 we're, we're ship of theseus hipsters <laughs> yes we are just maybe the nerdiest sentence i've ever said in my entire life but I, look i overall i just found a, i was particularly underwhelmed by the ending of all of it and i think part of it is they dropped the stuff i was most interested in we have to wait a long time to get any sort of answers on it going forward. Um, and it just, uh, it, I, I, I will revisit it in one more continuous chunk. And I might make a little bit better. Like what might appreciate a little bit more. I think it being episodic worked to its favor in the first half and worked against it in the latter half. And I think overall this story would have been better if it hadn't been told week to week. I disagree. I still think week to week is better. I still enjoy the conversations that happen. I just think they need, I think they will learn with Falcon Winter Soldier. Six is like their perfect number. Six to, I think six, seven or eight. Anything longer than that is when you get into this over fan craze territory. I don't think it was the number of episodes. I, I think it was, yeah, it, you know, the conversation been going on for two months now, but also, and the only conversation there's there's nothing that's the other problem is there's no other conversations to be had right now. Well, there's no other conversation to be had, but also there's the the show itself wasn't giving us anything else to talk about. Like I think I actually am going to fault the show a little bit on this. If the show itself were more interesting, people would be talking about the show and not what they think is going to happen. What's going to like the conversation was about around the show, not about the show, and like. I think that is one slight difference to say like Westworld, which is like people were talking about Westworld itself. Like this is weird and interesting. What is happening here? And this was like, what are all the things we think should be a part of this show? And I, I that's on the fans for having made like meant that was the discourse, but it's a little bit on the show for not giving us something meaty to actually talk about. Nothing happens in this show except for mystery boxes until the very final episode. Yeah, pretty much. And I don't think that is particularly spectacular storytelling to do it that way that's fair yeah for for me this show because like after um the last jedi i was super into the fan theory world all for all through last jedi like every day i'd watch a new video about what people think is going to happen in that movie yeah and i was so on board and i was so disappointed and i blamed the fan theory side of me for being disappointed in that movie and I'm like, I hyped it up so much in my head, and that's why I didn't enjoy it because mm -hmm. nothing played out like the script I'd already I'd pre-written. Right. Where when this came out, I still had that script pre-written, and we talked about it almost every week before or after the podcast. Yeah. And we talked about our theories and how we think it's gonna go, and like, do I wish some of them would have come true? Absolutely. But I still think the story was so good, besides what I'd already written, that I was able to be okay with the ending okay. aside from the you know we didn't get reed richards we didn't get x-men yeah we didn't get a magneto like everyone thought we were gonna get yeah uh but also i i don't know if i had sent any of these or if anyone sent you these the actor playing norm 
is on TikTok. Oh, someone did send them to me. I haven't watched them yet, but like he and was, he's been making the funniest content. Yeah. Um, that I think is like brought the walls down a little bit from the fan theories of him just being like, I'm just an actor. I'm not anybody like yeah. I'm not Mephisto. Stop asking about Mephisto. <laughs> like I just, I just want to get a pool in LA. Like, I right. just want to have yeah. money. Don't just... ruin my career by asking me questions about Mephisto. Yeah. And I, I think it's interesting you bring up Star Wars. I think it's an apt comparison because it's it's fan expectations, I think, contributed to people's disappointment with The Last Jedi. But I also fault the filmmakers in The Force Awakens for setting up a bunch of mystery boxes, which has never been a thing with Star Wars. It has been, to some degree, a thing in Marvel. Yes. So it's a little more reasonable they would do it here. Um, but I I... Look, I think overall, this is a really good piece of storytelling about someone suffering from grief. I think Elizabeth Olsen is fantastic in it. I think Paul Bettany is amazing in it. I'm, the Scarlet Witch look is yeah, Scarlet Witch gorgeous. look is fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, Catherine Hahn can do no wrong. She yes. is a goddess. They did a lot of things really, really well. To me, I think this shows the danger you put yourself in when you are relying on mystery and intrigue to keep your audience engaged to some degree. I don't think we're going to suffer that a lot in the other shows, but I think it's just, it's not even like a, a, a cautionary tale or warning. I'm just, for me, I'm noting like, this is maybe not the best way to approach things. Okay. I, you know, over, overall, I, I somewhat disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I, I still think mystery is a great way to continue the conversation. Cause I, I think of like the game of Thrones world where it's, it's, nine seasons of questions also unsatisfying payoff also very unsatisfying payoff yes because i think that's part of that you set yourself up for failure when you do it that way or you just have to know how it's going to end already or you have to pay things off along the way so it's yes. not just i that. think that that is the other big one yeah we, like, if we have gotten the pietro answer if we've gotten the reed richards thing i don't think we should have had reed no richards. i don't i want reed richards in this but um had the Pietro thing be different. Yeah. Or even just not be Evan Peters. Exactly. I, that's the thing is I was getting real like storytelling payoff blue balls all the way through. And at the very end, it was just not very satisfying. Yeah. So everyone loving or everyone love hating the boner joke. Yeah. But I have seen that that's not a joke on the name, but there is an actor from happy days. Oh, named something boner. That's right. And so people are, are thinking, you know, it could go either way. Yeah. I don't think they thought as, this through as much as fans are like it's either a reference to an actor from a show that she watched or it's just a penis joke because that is what quicksilver would do that's what is what he would do yeah um but no i mean overall i did like it and i'm very excited for what they give us yes next and i'm very excited to see where these characters go yeah i feel forward, so i feel good after i mean not while the show was going on i was a wreck during that like goodbye sequence oh <laughs> like, yeah like, I had it. I was watching it in the bathroom <laughs> just because I needed like a comfort space. Oh um, and I remember walking away from my computer and just listening to the like the goodbyes. Like I came and watch this right now. Wow. I'm glad you were that emotionally affected by it. I, I was not. But I would always rather have people be excited and engaged by something than not. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not here to like dismiss someone who really loved it. I'm more just voicing maybe why it didn't uh, quite click. No, that's fair for me. But I think at this point we can bid Westview goodbye. <laughs> Yes. Also, one last thing I want to throw in. Uh, my brother pointed this out, actually. That it's probably called Westview because the whole thing is based on Wanda's perception of the West through viewing television. 
Oh, that's clever. And he picked up on that like weeks ago. So I'm giving him a little bit shout out. Well done, Wes. Very clever. Very, clever. very, very like clever. That. Yeah. So, but I think we're good at this point with some WandaVision. And uh, I think the podcast in general, I think it's time to wrap things up. Yeah. So. And we're still waiting for that secret 10th episode coming out next week. Uh, oh, I can't. I just honestly can't. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to not have to getting up at like six o'clock on Friday to try well, and watch Chris, something. I'm afraid to tell you, but we have Marvel content every week for the rest of this year. So I don't think great you're gonna be able to escape it. Uh, but now it's gonna be an hour long. If only if only I could then not wake up at six every other day of the week. But it still happens regardless. That's true. That's the real yeah. problem. Uh, but all right. But thank you everyone for uh, for listening. Both of us talking about Justice League and Wandavision. We we got it in there. We had yes. to talk about it at some point. We did it. So, uh, but I uh, would love to hear your thoughts on Wildcard. Would love to hear your thoughts on Wandavision too. If you uh, if you're more in the Cameron's boat of loving it, or if you're more in the my boat of going meh. Or if you're somewhere in between. Yes. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Or completely at the other end. If you hated it, tell us why. That's true. Maybe you loathe the whole experience. Why uh, you hate sitcoms. Exactly. Maybe you really fucking hate sitcoms. Uh, if that's the case, you can find us at Tim Talk Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. Yes, 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 yes. You can find me at Lordifer on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yes, if you want to see my art, you can find that at Cameron.Dexter. If you want to see my face, you can find that at CamDexter underscore Adventures. Boom, boom, boom. Well, thanks, everyone, listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with uh, Comfort and Joy. Yes. Holiday time. Comfort and Joy. Uh, a single episode of Justice League will also be doing our short list then because we all know for a fact that Starcross is going to be on that list. I don't know. Regardless. I, I still question it. So, uh, but that'll be next week. And then uh, right after that, we'll be getting some Starcross. And that'll be the end of Justice League. So Yes. Very excited for that. Uh, thanks, everyone. And we'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Bye. Ba 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 